Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone, and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen. And today we're talking to Charlotte Foxweber, a psychotherapist and the author of What We Want. This is all about our hidden desires, our big driving forces. So we're going to be chatting with her about what we actually want and why we want it. I am very interested in thinking about some of the themes that we have in common with each other. And it's not that we have all 12 desires at the same moment in life, but they kind of stand out regardless of circumstance as a possibility of what you might long for. So I begin by looking at our our wish to be loved and to love. And I think that is something that, that we all have in common, regardless of culture. And it presents itself in a range of ways, of course, but it's something we still hide from. And I found that we all have a kind of ambivalent wish to be recognized and we're quite uncomfortable with our desire to be seen even though it seems very ordinary and understandable so a lot of the desires have to do with wanting attention wanting wanting something that feels childish and kind of exposing and unsightly in some way so wanting power wanting to win wanting to kind of be creative and playful. A lot of these things are just embarrassing to admit to, even though we all have them. Why, why do we want what we want? Is it something that's kind of inbuilt in all of us or is it shaped by our childhoods and our life experiences? I think it's a range of things. I think some of it is just how we're wired and it's survival and, and it's part of how we continue our forward motion and being alive so it's inherent to the human condition to have desire for food and shelter and and then the social emotions but I think it's also what gives us a sense of who we are and that comes from culture and various authority figures and upbringing language personality so I think I think it's a combination of what we can help and what we can't help. We, we have some degree of agency in how we negotiate our own desires. I think just to run through the kind of 12 desires that most of us go through most of our lives. So number one is to love and be loved, then desire, understanding, power, attention, freedom, to create, to belong, to win, to connect, what we shouldn't want and control. And I think obviously, I think the one that will kind of interest and like peak a lot of people's interest is what we shouldn't want why do we want things that we shouldn't and that are perhaps bad for us I'm so glad you asked I think that's my favorite subject 
Um, I think that we are drawn to transgression and kind of negotiating rules and and seeking edges and limits. And we we feel triumphant when we can turn something around. So it's part of our our story seeking in a way that we we want what's out of reach and we want to kind of have glory in getting something that's illicit because it makes it more of a win. Some of it, I think, is the kind of scarcity mindset that we value what we don't have. But some of it is also just the kind of domineering side where we want to cross lines and do the impossible. But I think I think part of it is also that we're given so many mixed messages about desire. So we we want to be good in a way and we get very pulled into the sense of should and all of the responsibilities and obligations of life. And then there's this other part of us that goes somewhere else and it feels all wrong, but that's also incredibly exciting and mischievous and liberating. So there's a kind of inner tension that plays out for, for just about everyone at different moments in life. I mean, you might try to shut it down, but that tension between what you're supposed to do and what's completely kind of forbidden. I think there's also a lot of tension between kind of, I think a lot of people, when we're confronted with those 12 things, will go, well, no, I don't want that. I don't want attention or power or understanding, but maybe on a deeper level, we actually do. Why are we so resistant to kind of acknowledging and admitting that we want these kind of base desires? Well, I think for one thing, we have reactants where we don't want to be told what we feel. We want to kind of get there ourselves. So some of it might just be autonomy and not wanting to be overly instructed. But at the same time, I think I, I'm not telling people what they want. I'm I'm pointing out some of the different themes that emerge and the kind of underlying longings. And I think I'm telling stories about about what I encountered as a therapist and and with various people and situations. But I think, I think that we hide from ourselves and we get very defensive and kind of overly, overly stringent about desire. So we're taught to be ashamed. We're taught to be proud. We're taught to kind of explain ourselves and be circumspect. And how did you get into this um, field of sort of thinking about these specific um, desires? I've always been interested in thinking about what's possible and I, I was very restless and frustrated being overly preoccupied with problems and complaints and issues. I, can, I wanted to know what it was for and I wanted to address what mattered to me but I, I wasn't able to. I didn't. I held back but I, I kept hoping as a client in therapy, I mean, starting as a child, actually, I've had lots of different experiences of therapy myself. And I kept hoping that a therapist would kind of demand that I think about issues of desire and it just never came up. And I, I realize now that that's because I've kind of been socialized to, to not bring it up myself in a certain way. So I, I felt very impatient and curious about desire in general as starting starting with my own struggles and I found that people are desperate to talk about the issue if they're given space and encouragement 
Why do you think it's important to ask ourselves this, to ask what is it that we actually want? I think it gives us a direction of travel and it really helps us have a sense of who we are and our values. And I don't mean values in an overly moralistic way, but just our own priorities. I I think having having clarity about what feels really significant is incredibly defining and it can shapes experience and and offers meaning. And once you have that clarity, then you're kind of onto yourself in a way. And what's really interesting is how easily we get bogged down with details and problems and roadblocks and obstructions and obstacles. And it can be easier to identify all the things that are kind of working against you, but it's hard to sometimes see past that. And I think when you, when you look at what you want, then there's a kind of space and possibility that opens up. That kind of leads on to my next question, which is once you've sort of worked out this sort of root cause of, of what you're struggling with <clears throat> and maybe identified sort of one or several of, of the desires, what are you sort of then sort of supposed to do with that knowledge? Confront yourself and have that clarity and kind of closeness with your own inner workings. It depends. I know that's an irritating response to any question, but sometimes it means making a choice and kind of being strategic about it in your life in a concrete way. And sometimes you don't have to do anything. Sometimes it's just having insight. So if, if you discover that actually you really, you really want to feel loved and you're in a relationship that in some ways isn't as loving as you would like, sometimes that might mean that you end the relationship. Sometimes it might mean just sitting with the disappointment and kind of getting more comfortable with it and having that clarity. What's the mental health impact of not having these wants and desires met? I think it's really consoling. I think it's quite paradoxical in a way. It's really consoling and comforting when you realize that you're never going to have everything you want. I mean, once you give up the fantasy that that's possible, it's, it's actually a relief because there's a lot less pressure and and you can actually see what is possible and you can make adjustments and you can have experiences and you can kind of lift yourself out of the mud. But we get really stuck with some sense of enoughness and some expectation of fulfillment, which I think is a huge burden. So a lot of people are are really freaked out by desire and they think that if they face themselves, like, why go there? Because it might be disappointing and that's one of the reasons we we often don't ask ourselves what we really want because it's vulnerable and it's exposing and it'll be kind of such an embarrassing failure when we go for something and it doesn't happen. But I think being able to survive things not going your way, I mean, first of all, it's inevitable. Um, but second of all, I think that it's actually quite kind of bolstering and galvanizing when when you are undaunted by whatever it is you you can't have like when you can accept those defeats and accept limitations and impossibilities what about I think some of the stories in your book kind of explore people wanting things and pursuing that want that just it isn't making them happy or they're maybe doing things that aren't healthy um I'm talking more about kind of addiction and use of alcohol and drugs those kind of things 
how do you kind of approach that um, when your wants and desires aren't making you happy or bringing you happiness? Is it about changing or denying those desires or is there a different approach that you can take? Well, so that's where I think it can be really helpful to kind of look at the difficult subjects of desire and put it out there. So if I, if I feel like a client is avoiding an issue and kind of pretending to want something or not want something and just going around an issue, I, I will say it. And I, I think that therapy is a place for, for really looking at issues that are kind of uncomfortable and unsightly and possibly even shattering, but avoiding those issues is, is so repetitious and so full of stuckness. And I think that has to be normalized as well, because most of us are kind of in flight and self-avoidant in various ways. But I think that it's a huge relief when, when we can call each other out in a kind way and kind of be demanding in that sense. I think therapy should also be demanding. I don't think it should just kind of tolerate more delusions and ways of avoiding. So I, sometimes it's, it's quite a kind of not combative zone, but it's, it's quite high octane. That's really interesting because it sounds like the sort of the, the sort of therapy that you practice is very different to, to other types. Cause um, I mean, I'm just thinking the sort of types that I've had and a lot of it just seems to be you talk and talk and talk and you don't necessarily get anything back. Um, whereas it really does sound like you're kind of, <laughs> you are getting stuff back because your therapist is saying, well, what about this? A lot of the time. I mean, I know there's other sort of types um, where it's very sort of structured things like CBT and um, other ones like that. Is there a particular name for the kind of therapy that you practice or um, anything else we should know about it? I mean, I, I work relationally, but I, I think actually just being able to say, being able to speak freely, going both ways, being able to say things that are difficult to say and not feeling overly censored and and having that intimacy emotionally is expansive and liberating. And it's, it's such a relief to not have to kind of go through the polite platitudes that we have elsewhere. You've obviously been exploring psychotherapy for quite some time now. What have you learned from speaking with so many people about these really quite deep topics? I mean, I I feel like a lot of these issues just emerge over time in different ways because it, it because in a way we give our own secrets away. So when we when we pretend not to want something like a classic a classic desire that a lot of us pretend not to have is wanting power. So even if we can are okay with it as children, a lot of emotions and desires we're, we're more comfortable with as children, but. Wanting power is is so kind of squeamish making, and I I will encounter one person after another who kind of describes rivalries and small acts of protest and kind of avoidance and disavowal of of different dynamics, and there's a lot of kind of there are a lot of clues to what is being denied, and sometimes if if I just say something like is it power that you want? I, at first it might kind of feel unbearable or be denied again, but then it's just, it's considering something that has been 
was somehow censored, somehow kind of pushed away. I think people imagine that if you say, oh, you want power, it's someone like, you know, Donald Trump wanting to like take over the world. Totally. A lot of it is at odds with the sense we have of how we're supposed to be. And I, I think we're socialized that way from a young age. I mean, especially in in this culture where being circumspect is, I mean, I don't want to now overstate this one, but being circumspect is kind of the norm. So with a toddler, it's okay to say, I want milk, but it's not cute after three or four. Like it starts to kind of make us wince to hear it, to say it. And we go around desire and it's, it's somehow too much to, to be direct, but then we start playing games. It feels very uncomfortable as well, I think, to just ask for what we want or even state that we do want something. How do we start to deal with that discomfort? By acknowledging it. I mean, I, I think that desire is a conflict for all of us and that's okay. It's a conflict to kind of face and acknowledge rather than walk away from or, or pretend you don't even have because that conflict is really interesting. So of course it's uncomfortable because because all desires present problems as well as possibilities and kind of calibrating it and m- making an adjustment. It's, it's an ongoing struggle, but I think sometimes just acknowledging that it is hard to admit, but, but that's okay. It doesn't mean you have to go around asking for everything you want at every moment, but again, kind of facing it yourself. It's like something like death. Of course that makes us uncomfortable, but pretending it's never going to happen isn't necessarily helpful either. But also I can really see how it can help you kind of work out the things that you actually want, as opposed to maybe the thing that the things that society sort of says that you should want, or I can, especially maybe for women, well, women as well, actually, when you're younger, especially that things that your family kind of say that you, you know, you should want or you should do um, to be able to kind of actually separate. Yeah. I can imagine that sort of comes up with your, with the clients this, this whole chat I've been thinking oh yeah it I can definitely see how it would be useful to kind of separate those things um because you know families are great and they're very supportive but there can be a lot of pressure can't there to sort of do certain things and and achieve certain things whereas actually you might be desiring different things completely absolutely and it's incredible when we realize that we we simply haven't considered the subject for ourselves and I mean, I was definitely an example of that where I I thought of myself as being very opinionated and kind of thinking for myself and not not just going along with what other people told me to think and feel. But then I I was so kind of conditioned to to somehow marginalize my own my own wishes. So that I just was only thinking about keeping up with some obligation. And I I think we get overly responsible. We think that being grownups means just kind of only doing what we're supposed to do, only going through the task list. On a personal note, what if you realised that you maybe thought, maybe what you thought you wanted, but now maybe realise isn't what you wanted? Um, And what have you realised now that actually that is a want and a desire of mine? 
Really good question. I think, I mean, everything that's unsightly and terrible. I think sometimes creativity is a big one for for something that I've struggled to admit to wanting because it, it sounds foolish and it's felt kind of uncomfortable and exposing. But I've wanted to play more and actually have more fun. And it sounds, it sounds really silly and it is silly sometimes, but that's really important as well. So I've, I've allowed myself to kind of make space for things that felt somehow not good before. Like I judged myself and felt ashamed. I I've also allowed myself to, to realize how conflicted I am about, about certain things where I'm, I should know better and I'm kind of tempted by by things that might be terrible and I'm I'm accepting of that it doesn't mean that we have to act out but again I think it's interesting to think about the ways that we've censored ourselves internally and tried to kind of create barriers from our own awareness is there anything else you'd like to add or did you sorry Ellen did you have any other questions I think we've covered quite a lot there but um yeah, is there anything you'd you like to add to to finish up? Um, I feel like I have been avoidant of the question about <laughs> realizing what I've been socialized to want or what I should want, but I I don't actually want. And I want I want to say the truth about it. Um, I think that actually being bored is very hard to admit to, and I felt like I should somehow not only pretend to be interested when I'm really bored, but just kind of actually feel things internally that don't match my experience. And I think releasing myself from that, like realizing that that I get bored with my own mind as well, that I'm sometimes really impatient and restless and just kind of being interested in boredom has been a big learning for me. Mm. I don't know if you were told this when you were a kid, but my parents were always like, only boring people get bored. So it was always like, if you were bored. That's exactly yes. like We're given these different messages and and then it becomes some kind of rule that we live by. It's like, how how could I possibly be bored? I must be something doing something very wrong um, to feel that way. Right. I mean, it feels, it feels mm, unacceptable. Definitely. So, I mean, I think, I think it's also just expansive when, when we permit for the different thoughts and feelings, but we also know that we have, we have some say over what we do with them. Like not everything has to lead to something reckless and terrible. So, I mean, you can realize that you have a fantasy about being aggressive to someone or, I mean, doing all sorts of monstrous things or that you are jealous of someone or kind of obsessed with someone. And it, it doesn't mean that you turn into a beast. Mm. One of the most useful things I've always found is when you sort of actually, when you've noticed what that emotion is. And sometimes I'll sort of say to someone like, I'm really jealous of you. And that seems to take the power away. So I can see if, if you actually notice those feelings, if you actually either, you know, acknowledge them, or even sort of say them out loud can be quite helpful. Yeah, I mean, it, it actually makes 
it makes it less overwhelming. But we think that if we name something, it's going to kind of make it bigger. And, and so we don't want to go there. But actually, I, when we can, when we can admit something, it, it, it's already more manageable. And I, I think one, one taboo that shouldn't be a taboo in a way is how, how conflicted most of us are about traumatic relationships from the past where there's still a really strong connection or kind of conflicted attachment there. And it doesn't mean it's just a full trauma bond, but having mixed feelings about, about people who have hurt us, I think that's much more common than we realize and causes all sorts of problems when we're too ashamed to deal with it. I think shame is such a big, it seems like an obvious thing to say, but shame is such a big thing and a big part of this is that a lot of times when these unpleasant or what we see as unpleasant desires or emotions come up, we'll kind of go like, oh no, you you can't think that or you can't feel that and try everything that we can to shut that down. Completely. Yeah, shame is very censoring. How do we start to overcome that? The self-censorship kind of thing? By by breaking your own rules conversationally, by kind of daring yourself to to go where it's hard to go. So I I really recommend kind of facing whatever it is that you're running away from. And and sometimes that can be through a conversation. Sometimes it's reading something or just kind of acknowledging a feeling either privately or with another person, but just working against yourself a little bit and not just staying with what you know and what feels comfortable. Like it's always a little bit disturbing to go there, but it's such a relief. Mm. I think that goes back to what Yvette just said about the, just saying, I acknowledge I feel jealous of this person instead of going, oh no, I can't feel that and trying to bury it however we can. I I think that shame overcomplicates a lot and kind of dresses things up as being really intricate and problematic and impossible to deal with and and actually something like jealousy when you when you name it it is quite straightforward in in most situations where you can kind of say it and and then something shifts you don't have to stay there forever but it also doesn't overpower you necessarily and kind of ruin your life to admit these things but shame shame exaggerates a lot and is very imaginative in a very punishing way so this is goodbye from mentally yours so go away enjoy your day get on with all your chores from mentally 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 yours mentally yours If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe to our channel and perhaps even go back and listen to some old episodes. We have many of them. Also, you can get in contact with us. We have a lovely Facebook group, which is called Mentally Yours. And we're also on Twitter at MentallyYRS. See you next week.